If you were hoping tonight we would switch things up and tell you a feel-good story, oops. We have another dose of the worst parts of humanity to bring to your attention. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Tonight, we're going to talk about gruesome biological and chemical warfare research units. And that is a mouthful, so I'm sure Thena is going to make a lot of mistakes talking. The war crimes for which Nazi Germany was responsible are widely considered some of the most abhorrent of all time, and are often seen as the greatest evil of World War II. But in truth, similar horrors, and in some cases even worse crimes, were carried out by units in other World War II era powers. Imperial Japan's Unit 731 contained perhaps the worst of these war criminals, and committed some of the greatest crimes against humanity in the history of the world. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Thina. And I'm Kylie. And I wanted to talk about the last episode. Yeah? <laughs> okay, so I was trying really hard to remember the birthday of a famous killer, and I said Ivan Malat. <laughs> I meant Israel Keys. Way different person. I'm totally aware. I know what the difference is. But for some reason in my head, all I could think of was the letter I, so Ivan Malat came to mind when I met Israel, because his birthday is January 7th, which got me to thinking... <laughs> I was like, I wonder if we because like when we do an episode on someone like when we do the shared birthdays, like, is there ever going to be a time when we share the birthdays and like, oh, mm -hmm. let's let's be sad. We share our birthday with a serial killer. So I was like, OK, whose birthday do we? I already knew mine. OK, so January 6th, my birthday uh, is also Vincent Johnson's birthday, who is an American serial killer. He's known as the Brooklyn Strangler. That's how I know that one is. I've heard other podcasters cover it. And every time they're like, he was born January 6th. I'm like, oh, drats. Don't tarnish the Capricorn name. <laughs> Drats. <laughs> April 12th, which is Kylie's birthday, is shared with Henry Desiree Landu, which is a French serial killer. He's also known as the Bluebeard of Gambai or the Lady Killer because he murdered mm. ladies. Like, OK. Yeah. So literally like the Lady Killer. The Lady Killer. OK. And on July 16th, which is Corey, our editor's birthday, it is shared with Charles Ray Hatcher He's an American serial killer. He was sometimes called Crazy Charlie. Hmm. When I was kind of looking them up, I know the Brooklyn Strangler. He was, um, he might be the most famous on that list. Charles Ray Hatcher is probably the second most famous. But the Henry guy, there's not a, like, there's enough that you could do an episode about him. But out of all of them, he was definitely the, like, lesser famous one mm -hmm. but he seemed the most like one that i'm like oh my god i need to know more about this why the really? fuck did he start randomly murdering these women hmm. yeah so the more you know just well, ruined our it. birthdays <laughs> right <laughs> but also if you guys don't know what i talked about when i did talk about ivan Watt, i don't remember either but <laughs> you should go back and listen to it in the archives because that would also teach you about the giveaway. The giveaway? The giveaway. <laughs> because right now we have a giveaway going that we partnered with a, a fellow company and we are giving away some really cool food merch. So check out the Instagram. You'll find out more or check out the previous episode, the Barney and Barney. Who's the other person? Betty. Betty? Holy shit. You did it opposite. Like that's why I couldn't do it. About it. <laughs> the Barney and someone, because if I say it out of order, it doesn't exist. When I was typing it, I was like, wait, 
Did I type it wrong? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the Betty and Barney. She is up there. She's the first one. She's the first one. Betty and Barney Hill episode. (laughs) So. Well, for tonight, Kylie, do you know what unit 731 is? I have a vague idea of things. But OK, but no, let me rephrase. Before I told you, did no, you have a big idea? Have you ever not. heard of it? No. OK, so normally I don't do a disclaimer at the beginning of episodes. You guys know that I just jump right in and I'm like, and then he stabbed her. But uh, tonight I did it because anytime there's like a lot of children or like a lot of rape in the episode, I, I kind of just feel like those times we should give a disclaimer because those two are two of the harder subjects. All of it's hard. Let's be honest. True crime is hard, even though we all like are doing dishes, smelling our <laughs> pumpkin pie baking and like, you know, being little housewives while listening to true crime and murder and then going and taking a nap. There are some times where it just really makes your stomach flip more than normal. And that's usually with children or rape, I think. Yeah, and I could say that this one does that. Um, I think the only other times that I can remember that I did a disclaimer was the Children of God episode, because that's children and rape Mm -hmm. and Sylvia Likens, because Mm -hmm. that was a very gruesome rape and very gruesome child brutalities. So, yeah. And to me, those two were the most difficult. Like, even when I was typing them, like it just they really hit a little bit harder than other times do. What was the hardest episode for you, do you think, so far? Out of those two? Uh, And all of them. Probably Sylvia. Yeah. There's just something about well, that case. Like, the children of this is bad. This sounds really bad of me to say. But the children of God was so ridiculous that it was like it almost didn't funny. sound real. Yeah. yeah. It was just ridiculous. Like, wow, these people are stupid. Genuinely insane. Right. But Sylvia was just pure brutality yeah. of the highest form. I think it was a little bit darker than Children of God goes. I know what you mean. Yeah. But this episode is going to have a lot of that in it, too. If that's not something you can handle, we totally understand. We'll see you next week. And we hope you have a super awesome week this week. But for those of you that do want to continue, you've been warned. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) (laughs) So before we talk about what 731 really is, I guess we need to describe how it kind of came to be. We got to do the history before the mystery. (laughs) <laughs> Haven't done it in a minute. <laughs> so excited. The history before the mystery. You're such a nerd. I know. I can't <laughs> help it. So we have to discuss the history of China and Japan to understand how it's been an ongoing battle of negativity between these two countries. It is very racially charged. Go figure. There is a long dispute of how the Japanese and Chinese regions have fought and disliked each other over the decades, and it's been proven time and time again with wars and battles and things like that. It starts kind of back during 1600 to 1868, which is the Tokugawa period. Um, It's also called the Edo period. And guys, I'm going to be saying a lot of Japanese names and words. Kylie is going to do her damnedest to try not to correct me because she knows I can't say them. (laughs) I can't say them either. It's fine. I listened to a thing pronounce every single one of these and I still can't do it. (laughs) So there was a time of internal peace between this period where there was political stability and economic growth under the Shogun. Shogun? 
he a shogun is the military dictatorship. So it's pretty much like for us, it's the president. You know, that's what it is. Or a king, something like that. It is the top dog, but he's also the top dog of the military. So the military and the country, the top dog is like the top, top dog. Okay, so. And it was founded by a guy named Takagawa Isawa. And hence why it's called the Takagawa period. As the Shogun Isawa achieved leadership over the entire country by balancing the power of potentially hostile domains with the help of allies. What did they deem hostiles? Chinese. Like anyone that's Chinese. Japan attempted to remove foreign influences on Japan culture, on Japanese culture, I'm sorry, by including the influence of Chinese culture. The Takagawa Shogun officially adopted a policy of national seclusion, essentially meaning he made like a policy of self-isolation. So they didn't want other influences being brought into their country, right? They wanted to to cleanse their country as like Mm -hmm. they were thinking. From 1633 onward, Japanese subjects were forbidden to travel abroad or return from overseas even. Like that's how the extent of this. A rise in national self-respect at this time resulted in Japan viewing itself as the center for a civilized world surrounded by barbarians. Pretty much they got their own god complex by creating it themselves. I feel like Singapore is like that. I could see that. Yeah. You know, because you can't like spit your gum out or. Yeah. They have very like intense rules of the highest like regard. Yeah. Of things that people do on a regular basis. Mm hmm. Everywhere. Whenever I think of Singapore, though, I think of Pirates of the Caribbean. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. Which is not the same Singapore as nowadays Singapore. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Um, The Japanese started deeming Chinese populations as subhuman at this point. Those were like the barbarians they keep talking about and things like that. So by seeing them as subhuman, you're already noticing that something's going to go wrong. The moment you take the humanity humanity. yes like (laughs) the moment you take the humanity away this is gonna go downhill this is how like cults are formed this is how like serial killers are formed this is literally step one in how to not do things civilly (laughs) civilly yes in 1868 the takagawa shogunate shogun shogun God, you have an you have issues with that one it's just is it shogun or is it shogunate it's shogun but it's spelled shogunate but then when i was looking it up different countries pronounce it differently of course and the most i heard was shogun and then when i looked it up in american they were like shuho i was like well that seems the most wrong (laughs) so i'm not gonna do that one i will avoid the american pronunciation (laughs) but it's because takagawa is a hard word and then shogun is an unusual word and neither of them look like they're spelling so having to decipher them in my head and say them back to back is a difficult process for my head. Yeah, Tokugawa looks like Takagawa, but Shogun. Well, to me, it would be Tokugawa, not Takagawa. Like, talk looks wrong in my head for some reason. Tokugawa. Yeah. I want to overly pronunciate it for some reason. It's okay. I'll get the words get harder literally the further (laughs) we get. I have so many names to say at the end of the episode. Y'all will be rolling over laughing. It's the only good part of this episode is me pronouncing words. 
We needed comical relief. <laughs> y'all, y'all will need some. I hope y'all have pets because you're going to need to snuggle the fuck out of them after this. So in 1868, the Taka- Takagawa Shogun lost its power. <laughs> and the emperor was restored to supreme position. And this act was the Meiji Restoration or Modernization. Following the Meiji Restoration was the abandonment of the self-isolationist policy. And with that being the case, you would think like, okay, that's a good time. Let's leave it there. They instead decided to like do the exact opposite. Instead of just leaving it alone, they like went further and they pursued a policy of aggressive, aggressive westernization and industrialization. Like they're going from negative like 100 to called, 100 literally called aggressive westernization yeah okay so you guys were at negative 100 and instead of going to zero you went to 100 you like you guys didn't even pass go you changed board games right. <laughs> so at this time china had begun to sink into a deep state of like dysfunction and it was perceived as declining power and that made japan even more notice like that these subhumans, as they would think, mm-hmm. are just someone to not be respected. Because why would you respect them at this point, they're thinking. So the xenophobic sentiment within Japan contributed to the Imperial Japanese soldiers rising against the Chinese during World War II, most notably in the event of the Nanking Massacre or Raping of Nanking. This one's intense, guys. The Nanking Massacre was during... I know it sounds like this is just a big history lesson. I promise, guys, there's there's a lot more happening, but you, you got to get the history over with. You guys know me. I like to ramble about history. <laughs> the, you wanted to say yes, you do, didn't you? you do. You're a history buff. It's fine. <laughs> I just like to know things. <laughs> the Nanking Massacre was during December 1937 to January 1938. So less than two months, right? People think this happened over like years because of how many people died and how horrific it is. Keep in mind this whole time, it is two months, not even two months. Like it sounds a like a year, but it's not. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's literally like 45 days or something. Yeah. This event was a mass killing and ravaging of Chinese citizens and soldiers by the Japanese Imperial Army. The Imperial Army seized Neijing, China, which if you didn't know... That was the original capital of China before Beijing. So they were essentially taking over the capital of China back then. And this was during the Sino-Japanese War that preceded World War II. The destruction was ordered by Matsui Iwane, who was the commanding general of the Japanese Central China Front Army that captured over the city. Over the next several weeks, Japanese soldiers carried out Matsui's orders, which resulted in mass executions and they raped Tens of thousands of people. The army would loot and burn the surrounding homes and towns within the area. They also destroyed over a third of the buildings in that area. That's how much they were just causing mayhem. There was a survivor named Chen Guiang, who at the time was 14 years old. And this happened in December 1937. And she gave a quote. She said, dead bodies were piled up outside a school. I witnessed a girl of my own age being raped by seven Japanese soldiers, then killed with a knife. Mm. 
it's really long and I didn't put the whole rest of it, but she tells a story about how then they tried to capture her and rape her and how she ended up breaking free and getting out. And she was lucky enough to find a Chinese group of people that helped her and like saved her and stuff. But the only reason she broke free is because the guy was so tired from raping and attacking other women that his grip on her wasn't tight enough. During the Nanking massacre, more than 200,000 surrendering Chinese people were murdered by the Japanese people, including thousands of prisoners of war. After disarming the surrendering population, Chinese prisoners were murdered by the Japanese over a period of six weeks. The prisoners of war were transported to a place called the Yangtze River, and they were murdered in what is believed to be the largest single massacre of Chinese soldiers. Taking more than an hour to shoot and ban at the bound prisoners, the bodies of those that were killed was this the whole event was called the Straw String Gorge Massacre, and they were dumped into the river. The Yangtze River. So um, what happened was they like stood all the people up, they bound them and then they shot them. And then the people fell over from being shot. And then they took the next like few hours to walk up to each prisoner individually and then repeatedly stab them with the bayonets to make sure they're dead and then collected their bodies and throw, threw them in the river. And they said it took hours upon hours. After that happened, another 1,300 people were taken to Taping Gate and these people were blown up with landmines, killed by being stabbed to death with bayonets, or they were coated in gasoline and just set on fire to like slowly die. An American correspondent named F. Tillman Durden reported that the streets were filled with dead. A missionary named Ralph L. Phillips at the time testified that after the war, he was forced to watch and disclaimer. This is a quote. This is an offensive term. The Japs disemboweled a Chinese soldier and roasted his heart and liver and ate them. You would think that would be like against the rules because you're so you know what they I mean? actually were told i'm glad you brought that up so there's a reason why um during this uh straw string gorge massacre they actually got an affirmative like okay from the leader being like these prisoners of war aren't like you don't have to treat them like humans anymore you don't have to treat them like POWs, and you don't have to respect them it's a free-for-all. They literally got an okay to do that. Specifically, like, from the, their leader. And this was even after they surrendered. But you're, like, like, subhuman. I don't know. It gets Just worse. Like the subhuman is actually their nice, and I don't like this term, but, like, their nice nickname for them. Just wait. They get worse nicknames. Mm. Yeah. The second Sino-Japanese war from seven, nope, seven, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can see the seven, and so that's all I want to say. From 1937 to go. 1945. <laughs> wow, guys, words, numbers, they're hard. It added a loss of life um, because a lot more people died. And this time it was because the Japanese attempted to invade China. Part of the reason the Chinese death toll was so high was because there was a safe zone that was like put in regulation and this safe zone would protect Westerners from brutality and like severe punishments. But they decided Chinese people weren't included in the safety pack. So you could do whatever you wanted to those. In the safe zone. Yeah, like those people did not matter. Nah, they're, they're subhuman. They don't matter. 
During this time, there was said to be over 20,000 women of all ages that were raped, captured, and tortured. (sighs) Okay, guys, this is your first really big one, and I'm sorry. Most women were killed by having bamboo, bayonets, and other sharp objects shoved into their vaginas so that they would bleed out. And if a person was too young or if their vagina was too small to rape, they would cut them open with a sharp object like a bayonet and then brutally rape them and then kill them. Civilians were never safe and they were often the first ones to be attacked, actually. Mm. That's unnerving. That alone could be the end of this episode and I don't want to hear anymore. And we haven't even gotten to the camps. Yeah. Some say these battles are due to the fact that the Japanese people attacked uh, in 1931 Manchuria in northern China because they tried to occupy it and take it over. Now, the funny, not funny, the interesting kind of funny thing about this whole thing (laughs) is they're like, that never happened. What? No, like you guys, we have proof. Nope, didn't happen. The Japanese? Yeah. They're like, that's (laughs) nah. It's this whole like, because they didn't succeed, they're saying that it wasn't how we think it went and that we are just, you know, kind of making it up. It's like those people that think that the Holocaust didn't happen. Correct. That's a very you're going to get some Holocaust vibes very badly. And this is the same time period, really. So right. like it people hear about the Holocaust. But in my mind, after learning about this, this is almost worse than the Holocaust. Yeah. Not that I want to rank them, but Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So after these wars and the massacres and the events and everything else, Japan surrendered in 1945 and multiple millions of Chinese people had died. But while this was happening, because those were just the small battles, sad to say small battles, Mm -hmm. there was something else happening on the other, you know, part of the world, kind of the whole world, let's just say. Um, it's it's a big event. It takes up a little bit of space. It's called World War II. <laughs> so World War II was happening around this time, which was from 1939 to 1945. So meanwhile, Japan's over there like, I fucking hate you next door neighbors. And the whole rest of the world is fighting. <laughs> Everyone's fighting. <laughs> Everyone's fighting. And we're like, hey, Japan, can we get some help? Hey, China, can we get some help? And they're like, we are having a disagreement over here. Leave us alone. Right. Oh, OK, like, OK, my bad. So this war, World War II, did have a vast majority of the world's countries involved in it. And this war specifically had aircraft playing a major role due to strategic bombing and the only two uses of nuclear weapons in a war at that point. World War II was the deadliest conflict in human history. It resulted in over 80 million fatalities, with a majority of them being civilians. Tens of million people died due to genocides, including the Holocaust, due to starvation, massacres, and disease. You want to learn a fun fact about me really quick? About you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I transferred schools when I was in high school. And where I went to school one place, we were studying things, and I was a sophomore, okay? And then when I went to go to my new school, we I, I went to go to my class, and I was, like, asking the teachers, I was Like I was asking the teacher questions about things that we were going to learn and where like I would catch up. And she was just like, wait, you know about that? Wait, you know about that? You know about that? And then we had to do a like report that was due on Friday and I transferred on like a Monday or something. And I did the entire report on Blitzkrieg, the lightning war. And she's like, you 
are extremely smart about history. I was like, I'm actually a World War II buff. Like, that's like my hidden talent is I know a shit ton about World War II. (laughs) So she made me take a placement test and I was testing at a college level, a sophomore college level. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I was allowed to be in the senior history classes. And I was the number one student in our entire school in history classes as a sophomore. And I got bullied the fuck out of for it. But everyone wanted to be my partner on shit. Oh, I'm sure they did. (laughs) I never partnered with any of those motherfuckers. There was this dude that drove this purple car and he had red hair and he bullied the fuck out of me. And I was really mean to him. And one time I partnered with him and I purposely failed the project. And then I later turned in the the real answers to the teacher. Yeah, Yeah, the actual project. Just because he was a dick. I don't remember his name or anything, but fuck him. (laughs) You know who you are in life, guy with the red hair and the purple car. Yeah. So if you guys ever want to talk history, World War Two specifically, I got you. I got you. Anyways, back to the back to the real world. Mm-hmm. World War Two and in, in this time frame, not in my mind. <laughs> so most people remember hearing about things from World War Two, like we had kind of prefaced earlier, like the Holocaust, Auschwitz, concentration camps, all that kind of stuff. Which don't get us wrong, super horrible things happening, right? But they weren't the only horrible things happening. Obviously, the war that was horrible too. But Unit 731, did I say 1731? No. Okay. Unit 731 is right up there with the vile treatment of humankind, but it's usually forgotten or less talked about. Today, we're going to talk about what exactly Unit 731 was and some of the experiments that they attempted on people. So like we said, World War I was arguably started by the attack. And this invasion of Manchuria is what had China blowing up and being like, this isn't going to be some small battle. It's turning into a war. And China and Japan started a small civil war. And then there started a famine, which was killing so many people in China that you could add up how many people live in Canada and Australia and combine it and more people in China were dying. So China was losing people already. There Mm -hmm. was enough happening to China that they could not fight problems that were happening within their own country, let alone having a neighboring country start attacking them. But Imperial Japan was vicious to the Chinese people during this, and they started using Chinese humans for experiments with biological and chemical warfare research. Mind you also, this was not limited to just Chinese people. It's just 95% of it was Chinese people. Um, But there were like American soldiers. There was like British soldiers. There was other soldiers that were taken and used European soldiers, like all this kind of stuff that were also in these experiments. But they kind of uh, 100% tried to target Chinese people on purpose. So mm-hmm. Unit 70, 731 continued to grow and attempted to weaponize diseases as well within the research facility. And that also came at the expense of testing it on human prisoners. Unit 731 started as a research and public health agency in 1932 by Surgeon Chief Medical Officer General Shiro Ishii. That's weird. Yeah. Shiro, your dog. Wait me up. <laughs> Which means white, by the way. In, oh, is that what it does? In, in Japanese, it means white. Huh. White Ishii. That's a fun little name. <laughs> but is that the American name or is it switched? Because, you know, Japanese people have oh. their surname. True. I don't know. First. Also, his Shiro is spelled like this and then the o looks like this yeah yeah it's probably not shiro but whatever 
No, it's Shiro. I I listened to a bunch oh. of clips. I was because I noticed that one. That was one that I knew I know how to pronounce because <laughs> my co-host has a dog named not after this man. No. With this man. <laughs> Shiro is <clears throat> named after an anime character. Of course, yeah. Now, Shiro Ishii said that in 1939, there were up to 10,000 members that were working on or being experimented on within the research facility group. This group area research thing would become the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory for the Japanese Imperial Army. Put it on a business card. Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. The whole card. (laughs) Ishii organized a secret research group called the Togo Unit. For various chemical and biological experimentation in Manchura, Ishii had proposed the creation of a Japanese biological and chemical research unit in 1930 after a two-year study trip abroad. During this, he went to a bunch of places, right? And he met people, and someone that supported him was the Colonel Chikao Koizumi, who later became Japan's health minister from 1941 to 45. Kuzumi had joined a secret poisonous gas research committee in 1915 during World War I, and he and other Japanese army officers were impressed by successful German use of chlorine gas at the Second Battle of Ypres, where the Allies suffered 15,000 casualties as a result of the chemical attack. And so, you know... Kuzumi and Ishii are like, hmm, light bulb, <laughs> light like, bulb, like the best idea of the worst kind right there. Yeah. Put those good minds to good use, but they didn't. Right. OK. Unit Togo was implemented in the Zogma Fortress, which is a prison exper- experimentation camp in Bayan, a village south of Harbin of South Manchurin. Okay, so we're staying in that same area, right? Mm -hmm. And in this area, there was an explosion in 1935. So Ishii had to shut down the Zogma Fortress, and then he received authorization to move it to Pingfeng, which is just a little bit south of where he's at right now. And he set up a much bigger facility, like a huge research facility. In 1936, Harito, which is one of the leaders, authorized by imperial decree, the expansion of the unit was going to be broken into four smaller units, and it will be merged now with the Kwantang Army, and it'll instead be called the Epidemic Prevention Department. So still they're dealing with, like, things they probably shouldn't be, but they're passing it off with these names where it like seems like they're researching it for a good cause. But really, we know that it's not a good cause, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're reading between the lines here. In August 1940, these were now called the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of Quenting Army. But they decided that might be a little long. So they just <laughs> called it Unit 731. At least this is the first time we have one small Good thing to say right now. First good thing we could ever and only ever say about this. They created a unique nickname. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. That's all we got yeah. for them. It doesn't make sense, but they did yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> what's the number? Like, where did it come from? I can't, I don't know. The special project was started and it was codenamed Maruta at first. 
Maruta would use human beings for experiments with test subjects gathered from surrounding populations, and they would refer to these people as logs. Okay, so logs, right? Mm -hmm. This term was a joke because the staff told a cover-up story that the facility was a lumber mill. They also would make comments about like, hitting the people and stuff like that and be like, you sound hollow like a log, things like that. There was a bunch of mean things that happened, but obviously you can tell now we're giving just meaner nicknames the further we get along, right? Literally no humanity. None. The test subjects were selected to be given a wide cross section of population among criminals, bandits, anti-Japanese partisans, political prisoners, just, you know, like anyone that they deemed was a, a bad person. But that was not limited to people of like a certain age or anything, because they also would take infants, elderly or pregnant women. So at this point, you're like, I just want to know what the fuck they're doing to these people. I'm so confused, right? You're like, what the fuck are they doing to these people? All right, let's break down some of the experiments. We're going to talk about them individually and what their use is for. I'm going to talk about like five or six of them. Number one, they would test for frostbite. Yoshimaru Hitsawa Hitsatu is a so size so fuck I can't even talk English now. Who <laughs> is a physiologist who was assigned to Unit 731, and he took a special interest in hypothermia. As part of his study, he would study limb injuries, so he routinely would submerge a prisoner's limb in a tub filled with ice. He would hold them there until their arm or leg or whatever body part it was would be frozen solid and a coat of ice would be formed over their skin. According to an eyewitness account, the limbs would make sounds like plank of wood being struck with a cane. Like that's another reason they were called logs. Like mm -hmm. I said, they would be hit. Hitsatu then would try different methods of rapid rewarming the frozen appendages. Sometimes he would douse the limb with hot water. Sometimes he would hold it close to open fire Sometimes he would just completely submerge it in hot water until it like burned off. Other times he would just leave the subject untreated overnight to see if the person's blood would thaw out. And you're thinking already like, well, isn't that going to kill off their limbs? Things like that. That brings us to point two. <laughs> Vivisection of conscious prisoners. For those of you that don't know what vivisection is, I'm sorry I'm bringing this term into your life because it's not a good one. Vivisection is the practice of mutilating human bodies without anesthesia, and it's to study the operation of living systems. Thousands of men and women, mostly Chinese communist prisoners and children, elderly farmers, things like that, were taken to these camps, like I said, and they were infected with diseases such as cholera and the plague. Cholera. Oh. Yeah. C cholera. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is right. Uh-huh. Okay. And the plague. The fucking plague, bro. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. The plague? doesn't surprise me. Like, I would be scared that I would be, like, not, I would never be a person that works in this camp, but why weren't they scared they were going to get something? Right. You know but, what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. They couldn't have had that great of, like, uh, hazmat suits back then. And also, I just, hazmat suits can rip. No. I've seen that episode of It's Always Sunny when the, when Charlie rips the hazmat suit. no. They rip. They they really do. I don't I don't buy it. I don't like this. So they would do this vivisection of these people that they would give 
these diseases to. And they would just remove their organs for examination before they died in order to study the effects of disease without the decomposition that occurs after death. They would also just like if someone did have an issue with the hypothermia, just cut off their limbs to dissect it and see what happened after they, you know, froze it over and stuff like that. So they like would how just it would amputate look. you. Yeah. Yeah. Subjects would also have limbs amputated and reattached to other parts of their body. Like they would take your left arm, take it off and attach it underneath your right arm to see if it'll work then. It's some fucking human centipede type shit happening up in here that I'm not liking. Well, sometimes in medicine today, they put like fingers in your stomach to like get it back to where it needs to be or. I don't like it, Kylie. Or like your leg. Yeah, like a finger in your leg and stuff like that. No, it's a it's a no for me, dog. Oh, well, yeah, it's a no. I would be like, that's my fucking finger in my fucking leg. I don't like this. I just will live without that finger now. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's just fine. part of me now that's not there anymore. Yep. They would purposely crush people's limbs or freeze them or cut off the circulation to then also amputate them, reattach them, things like that, or observe the progress of gangrene. Finally, when a prisoner's body was all used up, as they would say, they would just be shot or killed by lethal injection or buried alive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That one's, oh my God. It reminds me of Ryan Reynolds. None of, (laughs) (laughs) he is in a movie about being buried alive, guys. You can also listen to me talk about it in our episode about phobias. Oh yeah. In the archives. (laughs) Now, none of the Chinese, Mongolian, Korean, or Russian prisoners assigned to unit 731 that we know of have ever survived their confinement there. And I'll talk more about that later, but there were no survivors of Unit 731. I talked about how Unit 731 started off as a research unit. It was originally supposed to investigate the effects of disease and injury and the fighting ability that they could use or like how they could fight it off for the armed forces. So they were also thinking like, what if our enemies knew how to give it to us? We need to fight it off. But also, could we fight using it by giving it to them? They wanted both ways. With that, the Maruta experiment started coming about more often and they would do medically unethical things by giving diseases to living patients to study the disease, right? Originally, when they first started these, the patients were all volunteers from the army. But then when they started realizing that they were painful, they were bad, they were dying, and they were starting to pretty much reach limits that were non-invasively observed. And they were going to have to start doing things that were too rough or vivisections and stuff like that. The volunteers stopped volunteering, which no fucking shit. Right. And that's when they started turning to like the Chinese prisoners of war and the civilians and everything. So they did kind of start with volunteers and doing the right thing. Yeah, I could understand why, you know, people don't want to volunteer anymore because uh, it's fucked up. But a little bit. So they just, you know, started forcing people to be volunteers, which is not volunteering if you're forced into it. Nope. The concept of consent went out the window, and so did the restraint of the researchers. Once they realized that there was, like, no consent, they pretty much were like, okay, we could do whatever we want. 
And that's when Unit 731 really began to call people logs. And that's actually the word Maruta in Japanese. So that's why it was called the Maruta experiments, like at that point. Number three, weapon testing. They wanted to test the effectiveness of weapons. So in your mind, you're thinking like, oh, like, why not just get a fake dummy like normal people do? They were like, well, that's great. But we have some prisoners of war over there. Why not just test the guns on them? What the fuck, dude? So Unit 731 would herd the prisoners together in a firing range and then just start blasting them with different Japanese weapons, such as the Nambu 8mm pistol bolt-action rifles, machine guns, and grenades. They then would study the wound patterns, the penetration depths, compare them on the bodies of the dead or dying, and then usually they would just, like, leave them to bleed out and die. That's hilarious because you can't really... I wouldn't know where you're going when you started the sentence, what but that's hilarious. What is the word I want? You can't... Um, without, like, putting the guns in a specific, like machine you can't really control there's no controlling to be shot and where it's going to be shot at this is a free this is not testing anything no it reminds me i've talked about it's always sunny more than i wanted to tonight there's this one episode where they talk about like gun safety and frank has none essentially and he has his gun on like a talk show and he's talking about something and he literally is like so anyways pull out my guns and I start blasting. And he's like making a joke about it. And it's like stupid because it's, that's not what you do. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, so anyways, I start blasting. Yeah. Anyways. I had my pieces. Your pieces? My guns. Oh. Anyway, I started blasting. Wow. I don't see so good, so I missed. Then they ran away. And that's what it reminds me of. It's like, this is just like, it can't be real, right? Yeah. it, It is. Yeah. But, You were right, Kylie. How are they going to test those guns and stuff? So they move on. We don't need to just test guns. Let's test other things. Bayonets, swords, knives. They would study them the same way. They would bound up the prisoners and then just, you know, start stabbing them. See how it works. They also used flamethrowers. They would test these on covered and exposed skin to see how it would work. Things like that. They also would test gas chambers. And they would expose the subjects to nerve gas or blistering agents to try and see how those work. Blistering agents. That nerve gas? Yeah. I can't fathom either of those Mm. ever being something even in war that is ever needed. I cannot think of a single war that those two items would help out in any way possible. Yeah, it would just do more harm. Yep. Like, you can't even use that against Hitler because Hitler was around innocence at times still. You can't, you you can't, you you can't. Okay. No. (laughs) Getting upset. I'm sorry. I'm a little feisty because I'm so upset. (laughs) Heavy objects would be dropped onto the bound prisoners to study the crushed injuries. That's what I was mentioning earlier with the whole vivisections. Subjects would be locked up and deprived of food and water to learn how long humans could survive without them. Sometimes victims would only be allowed to drink seawater, like salt water, or were given injections of mismatched human or animal blood to study transfusions and clotting processes. There was this one story about how they also put like 
animal urine in someone, either in like their stomach or something like that, just to see what it would do. Mm-hmm. Just just leave these people alone. Um, meanwhile, they would also have prolonged x-ray exposures that were sterilizing and killing thousands of the research partip- participants. Oh, no, I don't like the word participants because it sounds like you're willing. Participating. Yeah. <laughs> participating unwillingly. Yeah, unwilling participants. Yeah. They would also inflict horrible burns with emitting plates that would be miscalibrated or held too close to subjects, nipples, genitals, face, things like that. So the x-rays were even a problem. To study the effects of G-force on pilots and falling paratroopers, they would load human beings into large centrifuges and spin them at high and high and higher and higher and higher speeds until they would lose consciousness and or die. They found out that usually happens around 10 to 15 Gs, except it's a much lower tolerance for young children because all ages would be present during these experiments. And when I say all ages, I mean, even infants. That's dumb. Why is a child? Why do we need to know what an infant G forces? We don't No, We don't twist. We don't. Whoa. How do children survive? Do can infants survive a plane crash? Oh my God. They can't. Can they? Oh my God. I just had the saddest realization I've ever had in my whole life. Can they survive? It would, it would depend on how bad the crash is. Okay. If a mother can put her face mask on, could she get a face mask on a baby and would it still save a baby? And let's say the plane gets down or something. I think so. Oh, oh my God. That's so scary. Okay. What if they had to jump out of the plane with a parachute? Can the mother just hold the baby? Number four. Syphilis experiments. Lovely. Venereal diseases were always an issue that would plague armies in the military. So it was a big part of why the research facility was even started. And they wanted to know the symptoms and treatments of diseases such as syphilis. Doctors assigned to Unit 731 would infect prisoners with the disease and then withhold the treatment to observe how the illness would work and just run its course. Did they infect them by actually infecting them? Oh, I'll talk about it. <laughs> a primitive chemotherapy agent called salvarison also was sometimes administrated over a period of months to observe the side effects to certain prisoners. So like some people, they would just like let you raw dog it and see how you work out. And then other people, they were testing unknown medicines to see if that worked. Neither one of those sounds like a good idea, but you definitely don't need chemotherapy for syphilis no (laughs) now to ensure effective transmission of the disease okay so if it's syphilis syphilitic (laughs) syphilitic yeah probably okay (laughs) syphilitic male prisoners were ordered to rape female and and mellow fellow (laughs) 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 mellow fellows Male fellow prisoners. Yikes. Rape both female and male fellow prisoners. That's the same thing I said, mellow fellow. Okay. (laughs) It sounds like an energy. No, I'm thinking of mellow yellow. (laughs) I was going to say an energy drink, but it's a soda. So when they first did start these syphilis experiments, They would inject syphilis, but then when they realized that wasn't working and like it wasn't giving them true results, they were like resulting to the rape tactics and they were forcing rape. 
They would then watch those prisoners and observe them to see what happens. If the first exposure failed to establish an infection, they would arrange more rapes until you got the infection. So it's not like a, oh, cool, you built up a tolerance or, oh, cool, like you don't get it. No, we're just going to keep raping you until you get it or you die. Those are your two options. Not all patients contracted the illness scientifically, but sometimes through human interaction. So it kind of was a mixed match, like I said. Were they testing it through like like a blood sample or were they just like not? Because syphilis can be asymptomatic. I'm sure they were doing both, but I actually didn't get that far to figure yeah. it out. I, I don't know. That's something I should look into. It's interesting because people could have been infected the whole time. And they would still like kill and them off or not, something. Yeah, not have symptoms because they're mm -hmm. asymptomatic. That also leads us to point five, rape and forced pregnancy. Beyond just syphilis experiments, rape was a common feature in Unit 731 experiments. For example, female prisoners of childbearing ages were sometimes forcibly impregnated so that weapon and trauma experiments could be done on them and their babies. After being infected... And they also wanted to test abortions, like different abortion methods, by the way. After being infected with various diseases, exposed to chemical weapons, or suffering crushing injuries, bullet wounds, shrapnel injuries, etc., the pregnant subjects would be opened up while alive and awake, and they would study the fetus then and usually just rip them out then at that point and sew the woman back up and try to get her pregnant again as fast as possible. All right. Rape was also just something that happened anytime they wanted in the units, which makes me even more questionable because wouldn't you assume a lot of the guards had it too and stuff? Because again, yes. asymptomatic things like that. Yeah. So there's no safety precautions at all happening here. But there was a quote about some of the rape and some of the things that were happening. It is very hard to stomach. So I'm going to make Kylie read it. And it's from an old unit member that worked at unit 731. So this is like a staff member. Yeah. Okay. One of the former researchers I located told me that one day he had a human experiment scheduled, but there was still time to kill before that. He and another unit member took the keys of the cells and opened one. It housed a Chinese woman. One of the unit members raped her. The other member took the keys and opened another cell. In there. Okay, <laughs> I was like, Sorry. I there. In there was a Chinese woman who had been used in a frostbite experiment. She had several fingers missing and her bones were black with gangrene setting in. He was about to rape her anyway. Then he saw that her sex organ was festering with pus oozing to the surface. He gave up the idea, left, and locked the door. He then later went on to his experimental work. Wow. Just everything about this, you would think it couldn't get worse. And then we say another sentence about what's happening. Yeah, it just gets deeper every single deeper. time. It's just worse. There's no happiness or ha the happiness moment was mellow fellow. <laughs> like, that's it. And it was just me not knowing how to read. Great. <laughs> Lastly, German. Nope. <laughs> Germ. Just germ. Just germ. Just germ. <laughs> germ warfare. Truly, Unit 731's research was to support the larger mission they housed, which was in 1939, they wanted to start developing horrific weapons of mass destruction to use against the entire Chinese population. 
and they knew to do this, they would need like a biological warfare type item. So Unit 731 cycled through tens of thousands of prisoners at several facilities across Manchuria. While the inmates were being infected with several of lethal the most lethal pathogens known to science. For example, Yersinia pestis, which causes bubonic and pneumonic plague. Another example is typhus, the infectious disease characterized by purple rash, headaches, fever, and usually delirium that would result in death. So they were wanting to turn those types of things, a plague and a infectious disease that results in death, into a bomb in a sense. Yeah. It's very, uh, Ashinrikyo type style. It's terrifying. To breed the most lethal strains as possible, the doctors monitored patients for rapid onset symptoms and quick progression. Prisoners who pulled through would be shot, but those who got sick the fastest were bled to death on the mortuary table while being studied, and their blood would be used to transfect other prisoners. Transfect is to transmit infect. It's just a really cool word. I was really excited to use transfect. <laughs> Sounds like I made it up. I didn't. One member of Unit 731 later recalled that a, a very sick or unresisting prisoner would be laid out on the slab so that a line could be inserted in their carotid, carotid artery. <laughs> I wanted to say cartography. Fuck it. It doesn't even matter. I can't talk. <laughs> When most of the blood would be siphoned off and the heart would be too weak to pump anymore, an officer in leather boots would climb onto the table and jump on the victim's chest with enough force to crush their ribcage just so they could get another dollop of blood to spurt into the container. When the strains would be bred to what assumed to be lethal limits, the last generations of prisoners would be infected and then be exposed to a huge number of fleas so that the fleas would get all the disease. The fleas would be then packed in dust and sealed inside a clay bomb casing and they would drop bombs and hope that these fleas would then reinfect the animals and infect the humans, right? Mm -hmm. On October 4th, 1940, Japanese bombers deployed these casings, each loaded with 30,000 fleas that had sucked the blood from the dying prisoners over and they, they dumped these bombs over the Chinese village of Kuzo. Witnesses of the raid recalled a fine reddish dust settling on surfaces all over all the town, followed by a rash of painful flea bites that infected nearly everyone. From contemporary accounts, you can find out that over 2,000 civilians died from the plague following that attack, and another 1,000 or so died in the nearby town of Yiwu after the plague was carried there by the sick railway workers. Other attacks using anthrax killed about 6,000 more people in this area. So they they went ahead and started doing this. Mm -hmm. They then started doing the same thing, but they were doing it with rats and they were trying to infect the fleas to infect, infect rats. And they were infecting the they were hoping that they could set the rats loose on towns and stuff like and then infect the um, food populations, food, too. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of just it kept getting bigger and bolder. Unit 731 was divided into eight divisions when it was there. Division one was research on the bubonic plague, anthrax, cholera. <laughs> Is, did I say it right that time? Cholera. Oh, my God. Typhoid, tuberculosis, and these all would be done on live human subjects. I didn't even get into the tuberculosis. 
For this purpose, the prisoner was constructed to contain around three to 400 people. So did I say a person was constructed? A prison? A prison. Yeah, you did. Okay, a prison, not a person. (laughs) They did not fit all these 300 people in one person. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. This is just a lot. And it's like taking its toll on me and making me not want to read it because I don't want to talk about it. Right. Division two was the research for biological weapons used in the field. That was specifically the production of devices to spread German parasites. Division three was the production of shells containing biological agents stationed in Harbin. Division four was the production of miscellaneous agents. Division five was training of personnel, So probably the training of guns and stuff. And then division six through eight was the equipment, medical and administrative units. So you can kind of, by the experiments I told you about, kind of figure out where people probably were within each of those areas. The unit 731 was complex and it covered six square kilometers and consisted of more than 150 buildings. The design of the facilities made them hard to destroy by bombing because it contained a lot of like small separate factories in a sense. And they had 4,500 containers just in the rooms just to raise the fleas, like a lot. They had six cauldrons that would produce various chemicals. And they had 1,800 containers to produce biological agents. There was some accounts where they said they had like a rat room also, and they would sometimes also just throw people or things into the rat room to just be devoured by the rats. Approximately 30 kilograms of bubonic plague bacteria could be produced in several days there. So like they had the means to go about this stuff and they had the space and everything. In August of 1945, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki had both been bombed, the Soviet army had invaded Manchuria and utterly annihilated the Japanese army. And that is when the emperor read his infamous surrender declaration over the radio. Unit 731 would also be officially disbanded. When Unit 731 was disbanded, the records were mostly burned, destroying any useful information the team actually could have generated over the 13 years of research. So the reason you were there was to research things and then you burned it all. Yeah. So all of it was gone. You want me to make you more mad? Yeah. The researchers slipped back into civilian life after that. Mm -mm. And they would just be normal people and like working normal jobs as if nothing ever happened. Of course. Ishii ordered every member of the group also to take their secret to the grave, and he threatened to find them if they failed, and he prohibited any of them from going into public work back in Japan, even though they all did. He also administrated potassium cyanide vials, and he said those were issued for use in the event that if any of the remaining personnel is captured. So he wants you to kill yourself, too, if if you get captured or anything. Hmm. But don't worry, they don't do that. Something else happens. Mm -hmm. Ishii had skeleton crews and he had them blow up the compounds to try to destroy all the evidence after the activities. But they did so good constructing these that they stayed almost completely intact. Well, that's hilarious. Like, it's kind of like a ha fuck you. Ah, Right? But sadly, no prisoners made it out, like I had said earlier, because they were all either gassed or poisoned, and there were no survivors of the event. Many of the workers were also gunned down or threatened, and the diseased rats were let loose. 
So the rats ended up going and infecting another 20,000 to 30,000 people over the following years of following towns. Mm. Great. Love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Also love that they treated the rats better than the humans. Right. After Imperial Japan surrendered to the Allies in 1945, Douglas MacArthur, which if you guys don't recognize, that's finally a part of U.S. history you should recognize, like something history-wise. He is the American Chief of Staff of the United States Army back then. So he's an, he's a U.S. guy, guys. All right, right? This U.S. guy, instead of stopping all this, saying it's bad, telling them no, giving them a slap on the wrist, anything, no, no, no. You want to know what he does? Mm-hmm. Uh, he became the supreme commander of the Allied powers, and he was helping them rebuild Japan during the Allied occupation. And he secretly granted immunity to all the physicians and workers of Unit 731, but like, including why? Ishii, the leader. Why? Because he said, I'll do that in exchange for you giving all your information to America. Oh, well. Because... We were too afraid of anyone else using this stuff against us. So if you give it to us, we'll let you all go free. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that good of a deal, especially if they burned a lot of it and stuff. They probably don't have that much good. Yeah. Under the American occupation, the members of Unit 731 and other experimental units were allowed to go free. American occupational authorities monitored the activities of the former unit members, though, by reading and censoring their mail, supposedly. The U.S. believed the research data was available. Nope, was valuable, though. And the U.S. didn't want other nations, particularly the Soviet Union, to acquire the data on biological weapons. So they, you know, I said data and data and that's going to see which one felt more normal. How to go data. <laughs> <laughs> I tried both. I tried real hard. After World War Two, the Soviet Union ended up building biological weapons, though. So. So it's bound to happen. Like, people yeah, are bound to do their own experiments. So we shouldn't have let these people go free. We right. literally did it for literally nothing. Right. Literally. Literally. They built biological weapons in a facility in Sverdlovsk. Yeah. Used- <laughs> <laughs> I did so good, though. Aren't you proud? Sverdlovsk. <laughs> and they were able to do this by using documentation they actually captured from Unit 731 in Manchuria. Okay. Now, in school, I personally remember, like, I remember learning about concentration camps. I told you guys the story earlier. World War II buff over here. Uh, Our school met, um, we had a Holocaust survivor come to our school even and stuff. And, you know, she even had her tattoo and everything. And, like, she Mm -hmm. talked to us. She was cried. It was very powerful, you know. I remember a lot about that time. I had never heard of this until I grew up. Never in my life. They, I, I don't did well keeping it quiet. They did. Now, the reason they say why is unit 731 is like it's special. And here's why, because Nazi human experimentation is extremely well documented. And we have a lot of like documentation of it. Right. Yeah. But 731 is mostly only known through testimonies of former unit members. And also, we don't have any people that survived that can explain it. Right. So they say the testimony can't be valued as factual because it's eyewitness accounts and stuff like that. Which, I mean, they say that in everything, but there's no way all this could be made up. Japanese history textbooks usually contain references to Unit 731, 
but don't go into full detail about the allegations. Severu Inaga, uh, he wrote a book called The New History of Japan, which was supposed to be a history book for schools, right? And it included a detailed description based off a specific officer's testimony of the events. And the ministries of education attempted to remove this passage from the textbook before it could be taught in public schools. Their basis was that the testimony is insufficient. But the Supreme Court of Japan ruled in 1997 that the testimony was indeed sufficient enough and that requiring it to be removed is actually an illegal violation of the freedom of speech. In 1997, the international lawyer Conan Tiasha filed a class action lawsuit against the Japanese government demanding reparations for the actions of Unit 731 using evidence filed by Rikyo University professor Makoto Yudea. And all court levels found that the suit was baseless because no findings of fact are made about the existence of human experimentation. There's no actual evidence. Mm-hmm. In October 2003, the Prime Minister of Japan responded to an inquiry from a member of the House of Representatives of Japan, stating that while the current Japanese government does not possess any records related to Unit 731, they recognize the gravity of the matter and will publicize any records if they do ever find them in the future. That's not necessarily an apology. No. Actually at all. And bullshit. Yeah, governments don't do things that there has to be stuff that they say they're going to do. If the building didn't get that destroyed, there has to be stuff somewhere. And I know people keep journals and shit. There's stuff somewhere. There is. Yeah. Now, for resources, I used so many, but I used a lot of like history websites and like the History Channel website itself and stuff like that. But also there is a bunch of different. Uh many documentaries about this and i watched a ton of those but then there's this chinese film called men behind the sun the men behind the sun i think actually it's available on youtube it's it's kind of hokey it's based on the real stories but it's uh from 1988 so it's very hokey and it's also just over the top it's by tan fei moose kylie watched this one specific scene from it with the hypothermia It's scary because it's real stuff, but they made it campy, very campy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Russian film called Philosophy of a Knife, directed by Andrei Skanov, which was released in 2008. There's another film called Two Versions of Hell, directed and produced by James T. Hong, released in 2007. I did not watch that one. I've heard that one is uh, it has a lot of factual evidence in it. I don't I but I can't figure out if it's a documentary or if it's a movie. So I am a little confused about that one. Speaking of other things, it's just mentioned in Slayer, like the band Slayer, like the band Mm. from like the 80s. Mm -hmm. Well, in 2009, they had an album called World Painted Blood and they had a song called Unit 731. And in the song, they talk about the atrocities that happen in Unit 731. That's interesting. Yeah, it's intense. Um. Then there's an X-Files episode. Every single episode we ever cover, we say, there's an X-Files episode. We just need to, like... We need to rewatch it from start to finish. Yes. Well, the episode is episode 731, <laughs> and it's in reference to Unit 731, and what happens in it is former members of a place secretly continue experiments on humans after control of a 
covert U.S. government agency like breaks them up or something. So now there's something I didn't really talk about, but I didn't want to like bog down the episode with this, but it's something wildly interesting. So if you made it this far, you get to hear this wildly interesting story. (laughs) It's called the contest of 100 bodies. It's just as bad as you think it is. Okay. Now, during the Second Sino-Japanese War, a Japanese newspaper reported on this event. And it was a barbaric killing competition that they treated like a sporting event. So during the invasion of the Ahsoka Mainji Shumba, they ran an article titled Contest to Kill 100 People Using a Sword. The article explained that there were two officers named Tiyoshi Noda and Tashiki Muaka. Probably not, but it's fine. (laughs) Mukai. Mukai. I like that better. (laughs) They're going to be like, what the fuck? Those are two very different things. What letters are in this? It's fine. Now, Noda and Mukai. I don't think I said Noda the first time. Yeah, you did. Noda? Noda. Noda. Noda and Mukai had settled on a private competition that did not end up being private to see which of them could be the first person to kill a hundred enemy soldiers by their own hands with their katanas. Noda reportedly killed 105 while Muka had killed 106. Mukai. Mukai. Okay. Neither man seemed to think that it was like a big deal that they killed like that many people or that it was even a big deal. But uh, Mukai did get really upset because it damaged his sword because at one point he sliced someone right down the middle and it, he had to slice through their helmet to do that. So, you know, that, that damaged his sword. And he was a little upset about that. Right. But the killing of the humans, that's no biggie. Neither was sure which one won and got to 100 at first because it happened technically like during the battle. But one had 105 and one had 106. So instead, the men were really excited and they were like, well, let's just extend the contest to 150 then instead. Of course. Like, that's the right answer, right? Okay, that's exactly what we should do. In April 2003. So a bajillion years after that happened, right? (laughs) Bajillion years. Yeah. The families of Mukai and Noda filed a defamation lawsuit against the reporters. Okay, And... On August 23rd, 2005, the Tokyo District Court Judge Akio dismissed the suit, stute, <laughs> dismissed the suit and stated that the original newspaper article, which is why they're suing them, does include false elements. You're right. Like, because they were like, you know, these could be lies. But they were like, here's the thing. The officers admitted that they had the race to kill 100 people. So it's difficult to say if it's fiction or not. So like, yeah, it could be. They were like, quotes. Yeah, it could have some false things, but overall, like they said they did it. So you should probably be taking this up with them. Like how fucking wild. That doesn't even sound like a real story. That sounds so made up. Right. A lot of people. A lot of people. A hundred people. I don't even think I can like meet a hundred people in a week, let alone kill a hundred people. Yeah, I can't even kill one. No. <laughs> like, that's so... But it was so, like, different back then, too. I know, but... Oof. So, whoo! Wow. Doozy, right? Yeah, it's a doozy. That was a doozy. We had so much fun with the hills, and now we're here. God, I love the hills. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aliens, okay? 
aliens. The entire reason we started this. Well, um, what what do you have to say about Unit Seven Thirty One? I don't even know. I kept like, this is so stupid, but like, I kept thinking about it being like this really intense, super like modern facility. But I'm like, this mm. was like way long ago. Like this wasn't even like, like it was like, you know, barred, yeah, window type type of deal, not. Like and you have to think cleaning back then wasn't near as well as it is now. But plus, yeah. they probably weren't cleaning this place at all. No, probably and smelled like ass. Just in general, the fact they didn't care about these people, like the woman was literally living there. They said with pus coming out of her vagina. Yeah, like these people were not living in good conditions. I assume that like they're even dingier than like a prison cell. Like no yeah. beds, anything. You're just sleeping on the floor. Yeah. And it's probably either like rough concrete or something. I assume there's multiple people stuffed into a room. I, I just there's nothing good Mm-mm. from this. Not a single thing. No. At one point when I was reading some of it, my eyes started twitching and I was like, I can't tell if this is because my body sucks and I'm old or if it's because <laughs> this story is that bad, because yeah. really it's a it's a give or take either one. Yeah. But one good thing. We're done with it. We're done. We're done. I also thought when we were talking about hypothermia, this is really stupid. Really, really stupid. But the- You started everything you've said tonight with, this is really stupid, <laughs> no, but- <it> is. <laughs> um, I don't remember which one it is. It's with Pierce Brosnan. Um, the One of the Bond movies. Never seen it. Die Another Day. It's Die Another Day. Where they're in this like facility in- like the North Pole or something. It's extremely fucking cold. And somebody gets hypothermia and then they just like jump into the the hot spring. Oh that's god. Exactly that's what I like thought of. <laughs> Growing up, I thought the worst scene of any movie with like a torture thing. This sounds so stupid. You're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um it was I don't even remember if it's the first movie or the second movie, but it really scarred me as a child. The Fast and Furious movies. The one where he puts the rat, rat in the bucket in the and bucket. then puts the fire like the yes, where the rat digs out digs. Oh, my God. It's making my stomach turn just thinking about it right yeah. now. That is the. Uh, I forgot. OK, I so that. that's hilarious because I've t- I've thought of that scene. Exactly. And I was like, what fucking movie is that? Yeah, it's either the fr- I want to say it's the first Fast and Furious, but it fucked me up as a kid it made me like scared just to watch that movie for a long time because i was like no fucking way am i getting to that scene ever again (laughs) that's how i was with vomit anytime like vomit came out i would just like fast forward there's another movie that does that exact same scene again nowadays and i was just like when i saw i was like oh my god stop this is like unlocking a childhood memory i i want to almost say it was like a dc film or something okay yeah because i i've had this recollection in my head before too it's just not good it's not good at all um well while you look that up some closing what am notes I looking up i typed in movie with rat and bucket on stomach <laughs> <laughs> i would oh it was too fast too furious by the way we were wrong okay. it's the second one um okay yeah, no one would have came back for the for the second one if that was in the first one i think mm-hmm. I um Game of Thrones does something like that also. Oh, okay. 
also in RoboCop. There in RoboCop, there's a similar form of torture. The movie? I guess I'm reading a Reddit page, guys. Don't quote me on this right now. I think I know what you're. I, yeah, there's a I rat scene in that. Sinister Two. I don't know what the scenes are, guys. I'm literally just reading what someone wrote. But yes, the two most famous ones. The most famous one is Too Fast, Too Furious, and then the secondary one is Game the of Game of Thrones one, which I'm probably thinking of Game of Thrones. Oof. I'm like, ah. yeah, it happened in Game of Thrones, and I instantly was like, I'm pissed. I'm so pissed. <laughs> I'm so fucking pissed. My most scarred childhood memory is now coming back to haunt me as an adult. That's the most. That's one of my top scarred memories. Yes, I was really? too young when I th- saw that m- moment. Yeah. It just. Mm-mm. I also had a pet rat at home, and of I was too fucking scared. His name was Dumbledore, Aww. and I was terrified to feed him for the next like two weeks, and I had to have help feeding him because I was like, "What if he gets out, and then someone puts a bucket on him, and then he crawls through my stomach, and my own pet kills me?" So irrational, guys. I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> Like out of all of the things that yeah. could happen, yeah. that's not one of them. Yeah, I'm slightly irrational about fears when it like has no value in real life. Like real things, spiders, no, no, not scared heights, nah, claustrophobia, nah. Pet rat might eat through my stomach with a if you have a rat in a bucket it. and some fire in the same room, <laughs> oh, you're well, fucking screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so now you guys know how to make me scared um anyway let's let's say goodbye we're getting loopy it's getting late i guess i don't know what's happening over here we ate too close to the time that we're recording that we're just we're loopy we're we're going in food comas so thank you guys to everyone that helps make this podcast what it is kylie and i could never do this alone so thank you to damon vakovsky for creating our theme song thank you for our original artwork by taylor with lab monkey creative on instagram Our editing is done by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited for the things that Damon is coming up with, too. I was wondering if we were going to give a little teaser. I mean, it's just that's it. Damon's doing some stuff. Yeah. There you guys go. Now you stay tuned. Super excited for that. Don't forget to follow the Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. That's where you can also find out more things about the giveaway, enter, and potentially win. Uh, Apple Podcast reviews and ratings or Spotify ratings always help us out. You can also get an extra entry if you leave an Apple uh, an Apple Podcast review. <laughs> you do have to screenshot it though because it takes a few days to load. If you like submit them on a Tuesday, we don't get them to like the next Monday. So just, you know, just send us a little You think it'd be a little bit more like efficient than that? It's not though. It hates us. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with us. But you guys can always send them to us and get you an extra entry. So remember (laughs) guys to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. And remember to join in on the conversation because we'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode. Stay tuned.